Hey, it's me again, the crazy guy with the stool. Uh, don't worry, I don't, I don't have this because we're having a bar fight in here or anything like that. This is just an illustration. I'm just here to kind of remind you about these four pillars of what it looks like to be the church. We've been talking about this in our series on the church defined, and we said that there's four major things that uh, make up the definition of the church that we're going to be focusing on. The first leg of the four-legged stool is love. We said that Jesus made that clear from the beginning. It's all about love, love God, love people. The second leg is a leg of unity, which we've talked about, and especially in a time like this where there's so much division in our nation, in our world, and even in the church that we remember that uh, unity is such an important factor in the church's life. The third leg is the leg of worship. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, about how important worship is in the life of a Christian. And because worship is the function of a Christian, it's also the function of the church. And next week, we're going to get into the fourth leg, which is ministry. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. We have a slogan at Grace Fellowship, and you're probably familiar with it. It is simply this, loving God, loving people, changing the world. At Grace Fellowship, you want to know what we're about? We're about loving God, loving people, and changing the world. Jesus said that the whole Christian life is rooted in love, right? That's that first leg of the whole uh, stool that holds up the church. The Christian life is rooted in love. Worship is the loving God aspect of that. And unity is the loving people aspect of that. And changing the world is the ministry aspect. And so we're going to get to that next week, and I hope you'll be here for that. But for now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and get there, because today I want us to think a little bit more about this issue of worship and what it means and why it's so essential and how each one of us can be better worshipers. So uh, last week, we spent some time talking about the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12. Today, I want us to think about the first couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So I hope you've got a Bible, you've got a Bible on your device or access to a Bible somehow. Turn to the book of Hebrews, which is toward the back of the Bible, all the way back in the New Testament, just before you get to the book of James. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning there, let me comment a little bit on Hebrews chapter 11, because Hebrews chapter 12 is predicated on Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11, as we talked about a few weeks ago in one of the midweek devotionals, Hebrews 11 is what has become known as the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews talks about all of these great people in the past who have walked with God by faith and how God has done amazing things in their lives and God has done amazing things through their lives. And so he just goes through, he starts in the Garden of Eden and he starts with Abel and he talks about Abel's faith and then he talks about Enoch and his faith, goes on to Noah and Abraham and Sarah, talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and then he talks about Moses and And then the time when they come to the promised land, he talks about Rahab and and he goes on and mentions Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. And he talks about the amazing things that God did through these people who just decided to walk by faith. They just decided to make God the center of their lives and how God did amazing things. So he gives us this whole background 
in Hebrews chapter 11 of these amazing lives of faith. And it's almost as if he's saying, don't you want to live a life like that? Don't you want to live a life of significance? Don't you want to live a world-changing life? And if you do, then you're going to want to read Hebrews chapter 12 because he just dives right in in Hebrews 12 with the word therefore. Therefore, because all of this is true, therefore, because we have this example, he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God doesn't want us to grow weary. He doesn't want us to lose heart. Especially when times are difficult. Especially when things are happening to us that are outside of our control. Especially when we're confused when we don't understand. Especially when we're just plain tired. He says, I don't want you to get weary. I don't want you to lose heart. And so he begins by telling us about the hall of faith. And then he says, you can have a life like that too. And as your pastor, I just want to say this. I don't want you to lose heart, my friends. I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to start to disconnect from God. And that's why we're talking about worship today. He gives us so many different examples, right? So many different circumstances there in Hebrews 11. But they're all commended for their lives of faith. So what's the key? What's the key to a world-changing life like that? What is the key to a life of significance? What is the one thing necessary for us to live that kind of life today? We'll look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 begins with these words. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the center of the whole concept. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, we're not being called just simply to follow the example of Jesus, although we are called to do that. We're not called just simply to do that. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're called to focus on him. But here's the problem. (laughs) It is hard to fix your eyes on Jesus when there are so many other interesting things to look at. (laughs) Isn't that true? As I was working on this message, I was sitting in my office at my desk and I'm typing away on the computer and looking things up in my Bible and, and I happened to glance up at the wall right above my desk. And in my office, there's a wall right above my desk and on that wall, there are pictures of my family. I want you to see what that looks like. Okay, so when I look up from my desk, this is what I see. I see my beautiful wife, my incredible kids and Garrett. I see, you know, my grandkids. I see all these people who I love, who mean so much to me. Every time I look up at that wall, and it is so common for me when I'm working on my message or I'm studying or I'm doing something in my office, for me to look up and go, oh man, I should call my daughter. Oh my gosh, I should pray for Garrett. Oh my gosh, I should call my wife. And I just praise God for my family. I love my family so much. And, and I will just sit and look at them and pray for them and think about them while I'm in my office. 
But then if I turn just slightly to the left, there's another wall in my office. And on that wall, there is a painting that is dear to me. It is a painting of my great 2002 world champion, California Angels of Anaheim, Los Angeles Angels. And, and, uh, and that represents to me my love for sports. Now, if you've known me for like 15 seconds, you know that I love sports. If you've ever listened to me preach, you know you can't get through a sermon without me using sports as an illustration. I love sports. And when I look up at that painting, I think, oh, I should check my fantasy baseball roster. Oh, I should think about the game tonight. Oh, how am I gonna watch the game tonight? And I start thinking about sports. Now that hasn't happened for three months because there has been no sports. And so I'm getting a little cranky. I'm going to be honest with you. I need my sports. And as, as I focus on sports, there's so much stuff. You talk to me about sports, man. I know who's in first place. I know who's batting 375 for the Dodgers. I know who's pitching in tomorrow's game. I know what's going on with the Lakers. I think about sports a lot. But then if I turn again to the left, there's another wall in my office and, and it is just covered ceiling to floor with books. I have a lot of books and I absolutely love books. And nowadays I usually buy books online and I get digital books. So I'm running out of, you know, new hardback books in my office, but I have thousands of books I absolutely love, love, love to read. I love to study. I love to learn. I'm a book guy. And, and when I look at those books, especially those books on that wall, I mean, those are just Bible study tools and commentaries and theology books, all the stuff that just gets me going. And it's so great just to dig into these books and learn and learn and learn. But if I'm facing that wall and I turn again to the left, I'm going to see the fourth wall in my office. And the, and the major thing on that fourth wall is simply a window. There's a window on that wall. And, and the window to me represents the idea of looking out, looking beyond, thinking about vision, thinking about what comes next, thinking about what else. And as a leader, I'm constantly grappling with this question of, Lord, what do you have next? What do you have in mind? Where do we go from here? And so I look out that window, and when I look out that window, I just ponder and I listen and I think about what's coming in the future. My point is this. In my office, it doesn't matter which way I face, there's something to think about. There's something that will take my mind away. Not to mention that I have a computer in front of me that says, hey, don't you want to see some cats dancing? You know, and there's all these things that I could do online at any given moment. There are so many good things to think about. There's so much out there to focus your mind on. And by the way, all of those are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things that I mentioned. But here's my point. There are so many things both good and bad, for me to give my attention to, that it's easy for me to lose sight of the best thing, the most important thing in my life. And that's Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews points out that if we want to live a life of significance, we're going to have to live a life of worship. And in order to live a life of worship, there are some things we are going to have to cast aside. 
Look again at verse 1 with me. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. If we're going to focus on Jesus, we're going to have to lay some stuff aside. There's some stuff we're going to have to choose not to focus on. <laughs> Listen, I wish I could say with integrity that all of the things that distract me from focusing on Jesus are good things, but that just isn't true. There's some stuff I want to focus on that's just plain old sin. And I'm sure that none of you can relate to that. But there's some stuff my mind wants to think about that God does not want my mind to dwell on. There's some things my flesh wants to pursue that God does not want me to pursue. And if I think I can love God while I keep sin as a mistress in my life, I've got another thing coming. God says, it's just not going to work that way. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think this is a point that is really rather obvious because it, it, it seems like most of us have heard this before, but some of us have been holding on to some sinful habits. Some of us have been holding on to some sinful patterns in our lives that God insists that we cast aside. He's insisting that we get rid of some of the junk in our lives. Hebrews 12 tells us that if we want to live a life of significance, if we want to be a church of significance, we're going to have to take repentance seriously. Guys, if there's sin in your life, you need to throw it off. You know why? It so easily entangles us. When you get caught up in sin, it keeps you from running the race. It trips you up. You fall down. You lose your momentum. And that may be the main message for some of you today. That may be the very reason that God had you click on this site today. That may be the main reason that you're listening to this message today. Because maybe you've been frustrated and you're wondering why you can't seem to get any traction in your spiritual life. And God had you tune in today so he could say to you with all love, Hey, stupid, maybe it's the sin. Maybe the problem in your life is that you're holding on to stuff that you know you're not supposed to be holding on to. Maybe the problem in your life is that you love things that God has told you are poisonous for you. And while you're drinking poison, you're wondering why you're not feeling healthy. And God says, listen, put down the poison. And maybe you need to hear this today because you know that God is speaking to your heart right now about something. I don't know what, but something that's going on in your life that you have embraced and you know it has no place in your life if you want to live a life of grace and significance. You might need to do some confessing. You might need to do some repenting. You might need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus in your life before you worry about doing anything else. If that is true of you, let me just borrow from Nike and say, just do it. If you need to repent, just do it. If you need to confess, just do it. Turn away. Let go. Get some help. Confide in somebody who can support you. But do something about the fact that that sin has got to get out of your life. 
But I think most of us know that. And some of us are still struggling to keep our eyes on Jesus. Struggling to truly live a life of worship. Well, if that's you, here's a word for you to chew on. Sometimes the good things that are distracting us from a focus on Jesus can be just as dangerous as the bad things that are distracting us. Sometimes it's the good things that keep us from living a life of worship. Let me illustrate that for you. Keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 12. But I want you to skip back to the book of Luke. It's early in the New Testament, third book of the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 10. And I want you to pick this up with me very quickly in verse 38. Luke 10, 38. A well-known story to some of you. Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, I've already talked about those of us who have, who have given our focus to sin instead of giving it to Jesus. But let me say something that may hit some of the good people right between the eyes. Some of us are more focused on Christianity than we are on Christ. Let that sink in for a second. Some of us are more focused on Christianity than we are on Christ. Martha was not doing anything wrong. She was taking care of the things that needed to be done. She was using her gift of hospitality. She was serving people. And most importantly, she was serving Jesus. But Jesus still corrected her. Martha, Martha. You're worried and bothered by so many things. Martha, you're distracted. Martha, you've taken good things and you've given them your focus instead of focusing on the best thing. Jesus is in your living room, Martha. Isn't it time that you sat at his feet and listened? He didn't say she was doing sinful things. She just missed the boat when she worried about so many things. And forgot to focus on the one thing. The thing that matters most. And what was that one all important thing? It wasn't a thing at all. It was a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says to her. Back in verse, uh, in verse 42. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part. Only one thing is necessary. Listen, you can work your fingers to the bone serving the church, and that might be a good thing, but not if you're ignoring the one thing. You might be following the rules that a good Christian wants to follow, and that might be a good thing, but not if you're ignoring the one thing. You might be reading your Bible every day. You might be teaching a Bible study online. You might be volunteering at a soup kitchen. You might be taking great care of other people around you. And those might be good things. 
But not if you're ignoring the one thing. Listen, Jesus didn't go to the cross to get you to do stuff for him. Jesus went to the cross to get you. To get you. Jesus died for the relationship with you. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and finish this off. Because in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary. It says here that one of the reasons Jesus went to the cross was so that you will not grow weary. We focus on Jesus. We focus on the cross and we don't grow weary. Jesus is the author and perfecter, the starter and finisher of our faith. You will not endure unless you get your focus on him. And if there's one thing we all need during these crazy, ridiculous times, it's to be able to endure. And verse 3 doesn't just tell us that he wanted to give us a good start and wish us luck. He endured the cross so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus wants us to endure. And we're never going to do that, not as individuals, not as a church, until we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What is the church? The family of God, rooted and grounded in love, united in heart, mind, spirit, and purpose, and focused on the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. You show me a church like that, and I'll show you a church that God is using to change the world. We're going to talk about that next week. But for now, let me ask you a question. Have you been worried and bothered by many things? Or have you fixed your eyes on the one, the one person who is able to give your life meaning and significance and fulfillment and power and purpose? The person of Jesus Christ. You need to give him your focus.